Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends. And probably some rando too. But no complaining, because this is free. Free! This is Beauty and the Beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. This week I was a guest on Near Dark Radio with host John Gower. We talked the state of old and new media and the constant censorship efforts chasing independent content creators around the internet. It was a great conversation. So if you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, check out John's work and Near Dark Radio using the links in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. This is Near Dark Radio. Near Dark Radio. Near Dark Radio. Near Dark Radio. All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or morning, depending on where you're listening and when you're listening. I'm your host, John Gower, and I'm joined today remotely by Mr. Matt Christensen. Matt is a YouTuber, a podcaster, a social commentator, and a media critic. Have I left anything out, Matt? No, that sounds good to me. Those are all kind words. Maybe overstated. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I try to be a little bit overstated, at least when I'm broadcasting. Um, what would you say that you do over on YouTube? How would you describe your, well, I used to like the title YouTuber. Uh, that was, uh, that was the goal when I got into this, which, um, for me was a pure hobby a long time ago and eventually developed into something that was a little more serious. Uh, but now I don't know. I don't know what title I use. YouTuber is the, is the thing I've called myself for a couple of years now. But with the way it's going, uh, something else is on the horizon. I don't know. I guess you can go content creator, but that always sounds... Uh, yeah. I don't like that title either. I'm so, not a big... I don't know. I'm a guy who talks on the internet. That's, that's, that's pretty much what I do. So, um, so that's been on YouTube for... It's been on YouTube historically. But of course, we're entering a time where YouTube is determined to make itself the next MySpace, it seems. Oh, good God. So we'll have to figure how out... Do you, how do you mean that? I just mean that YouTube is determined to destroy what built it, independent content creators. And in so they're trying to force everyone to watch CNN and MSNBC and Fox News uh-huh. and all of the stuff that is the reason that people turned off the TV and turned on YouTube in the first place. And, and, and YouTube is determined to drive traffic to those places. <laughs> and so ultimately what that means is the people who either through their own choice of leaving YouTube because it's not what it used to be or through the forceful uh, ban hammer of Susan. Uh, they'll, have to, they'll have to set up shop somewhere else. So I think we're kind of in an odd, odd spot or odd time right now. And the next thing is not clearly established just yet. We don't necessarily know what that is. We got a lot of viable alternative sites and alternative places to, to post content, but nobody's the clear contender quite yet. Uh-huh. Uh, what what compelled you to start your YouTube channel? Were you a uh, a Dave Rubin type in the regular media, and then you? It was total accident, and... actually, and it was nothing related to what I do now. Um, mm-hmm. I I started making video game content, and I used to do so. I I used to play like an indefensible amount of Call of Duty, and I still enjoy like I still enjoy playing it, but I I try to do more productive things with my life. You've grown up. You've grown up. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I was like 25 at the time. So I guess, I guess I've grown up, but I should have been grown up then too. Anyway, I used to like, especially when I lived in California for a couple of years, it was a very isolated time in my life. And I played a lot of Xbox to keep in touch with family and friends. And there'd be a lot of hilarious encounters on Xbox with people uh, angry that they did not win that match or whatever. If you've played any online video games, you know how it goes. So I just decided like, well, this stuff's pretty funny. Uh, I just just start recording this stuff. So that's how I started was just hilarious, like rage interactions with people Uh on Call of Duty. And over time, um, that content became harder to make because Microsoft, like everybody else, they they started cracking down on in-game chat or making it harder to do that sort of stuff. And the games got kind of lamer, and I just, you know, you kind of move on, like you said. Are you and, are you talking about the um, what GamerGate situation? No, was actually, I was not. I was not woke to GamerGate when that was okay. going on. I was uh, I was just not paying a lot of attention to it. That was that. So that was totally unrelated to me. But the 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 YouTube content I was making just got harder to make and less interesting to make. But I knew I didn't want to quit YouTube because I had built like a small channel at that point and. I still liked the community that I had, but it's like, well, what do you do when you can't make the material anymore that you want to make or that people came to you in the first place for? So I I started doing more like commentary stuff. And at first that was just like talking over video game footage. Uh And then you start like appearing on camera and stuff. But over time, like I'm not, it's not about video games anymore. It's about the news and it's about politics. And that's always been something that has been, um, that I've always been very, very interested in. But that was not, but uh, that was not the original intent or design of my channel. So mm-hmm. every the whole thing, I, I never sat out to like become a political commentator on YouTube. I never really like sat down and made that decision. It it just was a hobby that that uh, came that became something more serious. And of course, back in those days, um, it, was, it was much easier to grow on YouTube than it is now. If, like if you were making yeah. engaging content that people really liked, it was more. Uh, it was more of a meritocracy. The stuff yeah. that was getting natural engagement would get promotion in their algorithm and would rise. These days, like you can make the greatest video the world's ever seen and Susan will make sure it stays in her ghost town where no one can find it. Well, Susan being the CEO or... Uh, yes, acting, I should, you know, I should clarify over for, at YouTube. for your audience. I, I just name drop Susan on my stuff because everyone knows Susan because I just bitch about Susan. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's uh she's somewhat of a bugaboo in the uh the yes. YouTube realm, which yes, I'm just exactly. now dipping my toes into as a as a podcaster. I've been doing music on there for a while now, uh-huh. but um, so you mentioned that yeah you started doing political commentary. You have a sort of I would say more libertarian, sometimes conservative interpretation of the news, and yeah. you are a you you alternate between actually doing in what what I would say a sort of investigative journalism and also being a media critic where you call out the biases in the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, rarely am I doing like original fact finding. And that's why I, I shy away from the terms like reporter or journalist or something. That's not sure. Yeah. I, sometimes I will do that where I have a, a, a unique access to information or something. But generally speaking, that's not what I'm doing. It's more, um, yeah, it's more opinion stuff. It's more 
information assembly and digestion and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, uh, I, I certainly don't consider myself any sort of uh, like objective, objective journalism person. Like I have a set of values that I believe are important and that I seek to promote. And, and a lot of that is done through news interpretation. Um, and, and I think that's fine. Like I don't, that's fine if it's on the left, that's fine if it's on the right. The thing that drives me nuts is where we pretend that that's not the case, where we're doing that, but that we're, we're pretending that that's objective truth and not in fact um, sure. like a values or agenda-driven uh, commentary. And, and I, I say with open admission that like, yeah, there is, there is a set of values and a, and, a, and a so-called agenda that I believe in. That said, I don't believe in that stuff at the expense of observable objective truth. I mean, observable objective truth is always going to come first and foremost. Uh, and, uh, and you have to, you have to operate that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, I think most of the people our age would not, but you know, hmm. that's the times we live in. Yeah. Um, so I consider you part of this new media, this, mm-hmm. it's not the legacy media. It's, somehow sometimes piggybacks off the legacy media in the sense that you said you you're not doing original fact finding you're uh looking at articles from different sources and you're reporting on their reporting yeah so i wanted to i wanted to get into that because i feel like that's a it's a rather new phenomenon that it's so prolific at least Hmm. and it's 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 i feel like it's a transitionary stage that we the new media has the potential to produce original content, to produce original fact-finding, to produce original opinion or, you know, all the other stuff that people do on YouTube. Um, But right now it's involved in this cycle where it is serving as a sort of critical apparatus that's focused on the legacy media. And oftentimes it's focused on the left-leaning legacy media there's not a lot i mean you can say like david pacman is critiquing fox news and the right mm-hmm. right wing mainstream media uh do you does that concern you at all that that is a that that's the the current business model and that as the legacy media loses credibility the new media could get dragged down with the ship so to speak uh, I don't, I don't know necessarily. And I, I, I think what's, a, what's fascinating about this time is that the gatekeepers, their gates are irrelevant. I, I, I'm really, in, I'm kind of baffled by watching this, uh, like all the Kenosha news breaking out, because this is another uh-huh. case where, where wherever something of, of major, uh, just a major news event like that happens nine times out of 10, there's, clear footage of what happened because everyone's got a phone in their pocket. So we don't need a newspaper description of what happened. We don't need a third party or even a witness account of what happened because we can watch the footage. And uh, there's like what's going on on YouTube in sort of the sphere in which I operate. A lot of it is media criticism. That is a, that is a, a big portion of it. But I think a lot of, of what's going on in this sphere of YouTube too is assembling all of those different pieces and putting it into uh, a package that someone who might not have the time to look into all of the, all of the different pieces of information themselves, put it into an easily consumable, digestible package. And what I 
at least that's what I'm aiming to do beyond just criticizing other people's jobs of doing it, though they do a very poor job. And oftentimes it seems, it seems intentionally so, but yeah. what I, the other thing, the other thing I think that is important about this particular sphere of YouTube and that I try to uphold because it's not as though I do a perfect job either. I do the best I can. People make mistakes, but every, every single piece that I'm going to make, I'm going to link all of the information for you. So if you think that I've presented something incorrectly or that I looked at something the wrong way, you can go look at every clip that I've caught. You can go look at every article I've read. You can go look at every source and you can assess for yourself. And I think that is more than anything, more than, more than even the, the presentation style of certain creators that people enjoy. I think that's what people are thirsty for is, uh, is thinking for themselves and being presented with objective information that they can vet themselves if they, if they find it to be suspect when it's presented to them. You're, you're not going to get that on any sort of mainstream broadcast. You're going to see, um, like think of the Nick Sandman thing last year with the, with the Nathan Phillips banging yeah. the drum in his face and him smirking at him. You're going to get a very specific cut of that footage designed to present it in a specific way and you're not going to get a link to go watch it for yourself. You're going to get only what they want you to see. So that's what well, I, I sorry, go ahead. I, I mean, there is, I, I agree with you that there is some intentional uh, malpractice going on, but mm -hmm. some of it is simply the limits of the medium as, as far as a, like a television goes, you yeah, can't, gotta... you can't click, you can't go down rabbit holes on your television. Well, Increasingly so you can, but their business model is based on the fact that they get you this amount of information and this amount of time done. I'm sure that's some of it, but I would say that that doesn't excuse things like uh, a lot of the medium, uh, a lot of the media this day or uh, presently is they'll take that TV spot, they'll put it atop an article, they'll put some sensational headline on it. You're supposed to watch their news piece and there might be a write-up below it the write-up is not li is not linking to the original source material. It might quote people who saw it. It might, but the video's there. It's on Twitter. Where's the link? It's not that it's yeah, yeah, never yeah. No, there. No, no, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just not commonly or frequently omitted. And uh, well, and again, would you say that they are that maybe an aspect of them trying to protect their hegemony over the business model? Oh yeah, I think so. I think yeah. that it's uh, they they want you to get your information through their lens, and of course, I I would like it if people get their information through my lens too. That's why I'm in sure, this business. Yeah. However, I don't. I want you to come to listen to my stuff because you like it and you buy it and you think I'm trustworthy. I don't want to control information so that you can't go look at it for yourself. And I think there's a lot of that going on. Like we want tight control so that we tell you what the news is as opposed to you being able to view it and decide for yourself. Yeah. And I mean, to, in my mind, that comes down to money. That comes down to the fact that they are, the internet, for example, has massively cut into the profits of the mainstream media in newspapers and television and mm -hmm. radio to a certain extent, although... I don't think Rush Limbaugh is doing too bad, but the, um, you know, it's the same in the music industry. When the internet mm -hmm. came along, people discovered they could get their shit for free. And so they've been doing that increasingly. So, and the, the music industry, which has a 20th century business model is struggling to catch up. Hmm. And so you see now, for example, the mainstream media 
sort of leaving, making their, you know, their Twitter posts, like you said, they'll leave them, they won't leave them open-ended, they'll close them up. So yeah. you just get that and you don't get the links to their sources. Uh, and they're also, as you mentioned earlier, infiltrating YouTube and infiltrating yeah. the, new, the new media and starting to, you know, big players coming in. That's one of the reasons why I think that it's so hard to make a successful YouTube channel these days if you haven't already got one because you're competing against MSNBC and Fox oh, yeah. News and CNN. It drives me up a wall because you can watch one of my videos and and it's more often than not, it's not going to recommend, if you watch it through, it's not going to autoplay another one of my videos after that. It's going to send you to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. And yeah, that that bothers me selfishly, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it bothers, like, like we we're mentioning earlier, it bothers me because it makes it so, at least I have the benefit of having something a little bit established before all this crap was implemented. If you're starting fresh now, it's not impossible, but man, it is extremely tough. And I, I feel awful for the person who's got some real talent and something new to offer who should rise in a, in a, a system based on merit, who's just going to be buried because like you said, it's, um, it's a lot of uh, buddy, buddy corporate behavior where uh, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but CNN scratches Susan's back and Susan scratches their back. But it's supposed to be YouTube, not uh, CNN tube or cable news tube. Yeah. Uh, but 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 here we are. Yeah. The whole thing is is very frustrating, and I think it does explain uh, to your, to one of your other points as well. I think it does explain a lot of the corporate media hit pieces on people who are in independent media. I used to believe that was more politically motivated that they saw these people as political enemies. I'm over time, increasingly persuaded that that is strictly business motivated, that they are trying to hit their competitors for bottom line reasons. Yeah, I agree 100%. If you can't compete with them, then you have to smear them. Yeah. And how it's, it's, it's really frustrating. I mean, I I feel like almost a Trotskyist in some, some of these situations because it's like, take down, take down the big guys, let everyone do as they will. Let everyone yeah. get their opinions out, their their narrative yeah. out, and have those compete with one another. Um, what do you see as the future of new media? In do you see us, for example, moving into these? You mentioned them earlier. These newer platforms, these smaller. Um, I don't even like. I know Dave Rubin has one that's sort of like a a Patreon mixed with a Facebook mixed with a. It doesn't it's, work that well. Well, it's and, kind of an interesting... I, I'm not on Locals, but from what I understand, it, and, th- and that's not because I didn't like the product. It's because I had already kind of established my own little area in response to all the Patreon stuff and the YouTube stuff. So uh-huh. I had spent a year building what I have, and then Locals came out. And even though I think it's a cool product, it's like, well, I'd have to like scrap all the last year of work that I did. So kind of just bad timing line up there. But it is an innovative idea. It's The idea is basically you own this little social media website of your own and you have your own little community there and that, you know, you, you can uh, support your projects through that and you can, uh, everyone can talk with each other and it's kind of like its own little social media community as far as I understand. So that's pretty innovative. Um, as far as video platforms, like BitChute is becoming more and more viable. There are some other uh, smaller ones that have been hanging on for a long time, like Daily Motion and some other places. There's some oh, other God. startups as well. Yeah. Um, BitChute is probably the most viable competitor right now. As far as where this is going to go, I 
where I think it's going and where I hope it's going are two different things. <laughs> because un- unfortunately, the response to all of the YouTube censorship, and it's not just YouTube, like main, mainstream social media censorship, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. What has happened is for people who have the wrong opinions, there is basically no safe home. Uh, you get perpetually banned. Like, look what happened to Alex Jones, for example. They all coordinated to ban him and Infowars off of their platforms in August, what was that, 2018. And it all kind of happened at once, even though they deny that there was any sort of coordination. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very <laughs> coincidental. They, they but, could have at least spaced it out. Yeah, right? because, like. because, because, no, you, because you can't rely on any of the major players, what happens is everybody has to kind of retreat into their own corner. And I've done the same thing, like in response to Patreon and in response to YouTube and in response to a lot of uh, this, this censorship and banning that's been going on, I've retreated into my own corner and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll build my own website. I'll have my own thing where mm-hmm. people can support the channel. And if YouTube bans me, we'll have a fallback there and we can figure out where to go. Now that's great because everybody gets some safety and independence but the trade-off there is we don't have that cool, uh, like central digital town square anymore. That's that's what peak YouTube was. All the people you love are right there in a nice, neat stack, and you can watch all their videos in sequence. And yeah. that's what I want. What I want is like the YouTube of four or five years ago. That was awesome. If we could just go back, that'd be great. So I guess my hope... I, to clarify, where I think it's going is everyone's going to build their own thing. And that's very annoying because then you got to go to like creator X's website to watch his stuff, creator Y's website to watch his stuff. We're literally right. reverting back to the beginning of the internet. Yes. And yeah. it's not convenient. And no. it's not fun because it's harder to interact with people yeah. in one yeah. central place. Where I, what I hope will happen is that someone with a better, more pro, uh, like more, more pro free speech values, more pro liberty values will arise to create a, 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 basically a YouTube product uh, that, that upholds those sorts of values. But the trouble with that is like the, just the, the infrastructure necessary to do what YouTube does is uh, almost impossible for any small person to create, to ingest the video that they do and process it at the speed they do. Nobody can do it. I mean, even on BitChute, we've had streams and things banned um, or even like one of my videos uh, a couple of weeks ago got banned because I talked about those doctors you can't talk about who gave that press uh-huh. conference about hydroxychloroquine. I'm convinced and they are lovers, by the way. That was who? The, the two doctors. Oh, the two guys. You're talking about yeah, just uh, the guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the nurses. The California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think, that, you think those That's those all I got out of that together? video. I was like, yes, I can, I can <laughs> tell who the top is too. <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but but I it was only a ten minute video, like a typical video I post to YouTube, and I posted that to BitChute because I can at least do it there, the uncensored version. Even that, and this is not a shot at BitChute. I, I I like BitChute. I support BitChute. I want them to do well. But even there, a ten minute video at 1080p res took, I think, like an hour and a half to process. Now on YouTube, mm-hmm. that would be five minutes tops, and it's good to go. Yeah. It's very hard to to produce what Google has, which is just insane computing and processing power. And they don't care if it operates at a loss, which it's rumored to. I don't know if that's true or not, but they don't necessarily care. They can just they can have all the data centers in the world to process this stuff at an insane speed. 
I don't know how we're going to build that, <laughs> build a competitor to that, but hope maybe it can happen. I don't know. Computing power and computer storage has grown and grown and grown and the cost has dropped and dropped and dropped. So maybe we're not that far off. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, as a filmmaker, it's, I, I look at people in the 1950s using what would be multi-million dollar equipment to produce extremely expensive films. Yeah. And now we, you know, it costs us $2,000 to buy a camera and the editing process has been streamlined yeah. immensely. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope that the technology does get us to the point where we can work as independents on an independent and yet somehow networked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, have faith. <laughs> I, I do have faith because the demand is there. Um, people sure. like consuming. I say this as someone who makes and consumes the content. It's funny. It's it, like as though you ban someone off YouTube and that person thinks, uh, okay, I'll watch Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon now. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever does that. Yeah. So uh, like uh, we were just talking on Sunday stream because um, there was a, a piece in Time Magazine that um, referenced a lot of creators and and referenced our stream in its picture. But it was it was another one of these hit pieces that was baffled that once people are banned on YouTube, I, their audience follows them to DLive and to BitChute and elsewhere. Well, it's like. Yeah, because the p- people like the material. Yeah. And that's the mistake that Susan and YouTube are making. Nobody goes to YouTube for you, Susan, or for the YouTube logo. They go there for the person they want to listen to. So it, there's no amount of bannings that are going to make people stop listening to the stuff they like to listen to. It's just a question of where are they going to listen to it. And as soon as somebody gets smart enough to set up shop and uphold the sorts of the, the just general pro-free, spree, pro-free speech, pro-liberty values and gets the courage to tell the mob to stuff it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, on YouTube in particular baffles me because it's like, uh, yeah, I don't like 99% of the stuff on YouTube. Not, yeah. Throw a random YouTube video in front of me, I would say, not for me, pass. Yeah. So if you encounter something that you think is hate speech or you think is distasteful or a joke that you don't like, uh, there's more content on there than you could ever watch. You should click to the next one and find something that you enjoy rather than something that you hate. Uh, I don't understand. I, you can make all the communist material on YouTube you want. I'll never try to ban it ever. Yeah. I think those people are wrong. I think they're terrible. The, if you if you buy the premise that these are dangerous people, whether they're they're violent communists or whether they're the violent white supremacists that the mainstream media is more fond of warning us about, uh, yeah, it's a good idea to to keep an eye on those people. Maybe we shouldn't put them in the darkest corners where they're able to operate more uh, uh, correct more easily behind the scenes. Yeah, correct, correct. I mean, you had uh, that's. I feel like with the alt right, if we're concerned about the alt right, which we should be, the you know when. It was it was gaining momentum as a movement after Ruby Ridge and Waco, and then it went underground after the Oklahoma City bombing when they realized how nasty of a group they were, and suddenly you see it spring up. What twenty? Is this are we twenty years later or thirty? I'm not doing my math correct yet. Well, uh, Oklahoma City was what like ninety four, ninety five, ninety five, I think. So yeah, twenty five, twenty years, yeah. And so, you know, it's, we don't know, we're suddenly all surprised about it. We forgot that they existed. Yeah. And 
now we're writing books about them and discovering them as this new social phenomenon when in fact they've been living in the woods of Oregon and uh, Idaho for years now, decades. Hey, the woods of Idaho are looking more appealing every day, man. <laughs> <laughs> like looking at some compound properties potentially. Oh yeah. Now, uh, but, but even um, to the point you're making too, for people that are genuinely extremists and people of a genuinely violent persuasion, the the media hit pieces like you to believe that YouTube is a place for radicalization, that you click on there and you watch a Jordan Peterson video and suddenly you're a Nazi or something yeah, like yeah. that. I know this is anecdotal. I don't know of a great way to, to test the theory through some sort of uh comprehensive data driven way, but I know plenty of people who hold quite extreme views on a variety of topics who've actually been moderated, not just by watching YouTube videos, but by interacting on YouTube, like people who are in the YouTube sphere who hold more fringe views or more out there when they actually participate in debates with people with whom they disagree. A lot of the times they'll find some sort of common ground or at least have their thoughts challenged in a way that maybe makes them rethink. And yeah. I'm not saying that like everybody who is an actual Nazi suddenly turns into like Gandhi or something like yeah. that. But, but it, to the point you're, you, you had made the point that like, yeah, it's good to watch the communist content because I want to keep my, my mind fresh and I want to know what they're saying. Yet the other side of it too is you might actually persuade a communist against communism. It yeah. does happen. Yeah. It, more speech is always better, at least in, in my view. And when ideas battle, that's how we find the best ones. Um, instead, we are having some sort of top-down authority declare the good ideas and then also declare the, um, the suppliers of the bad ideas to be null and void and banned. And we banish them to the dark corners of the internet. And then we're surprised when they have increased animosity. You think that you're going to put someone in the bad, the, like put them in the dunce corner over there. And then they're going to say, Oh, well, I've been a bad boy. I guess we'll think, no, they're going to double I'll down. Think about mine. Think, yeah. Yeah. They're going to think that they've been wronged and they're actually going to become um, really pissed off and potentially actually violent. That that's how you get, you ostracize people in that way. That's how you get that sort of division and, uh, and potentially bad outcomes. Yeah. When you back some, when you back an animal into a corner, it's going to lash out at some point. Yes. Yeah, and it's uh, I do not understand this the cancel culture or even the, just the you know finger wagging culture. You 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 do not win people to your side. You actually radicalize them further by wagging no. your finger at them. And and as somebody who is a former um, a former lefty, like a, you know a reliable Democratic voter and and all and and no longer, but the people who persuaded me never did it by this, uh, by like trying to ban me or trying to lecture me or trying to wag their finger. And the way you, you described the way they did it was they did it through the, through one, assuming good intentions on my part, assuming like I'm not a trash person because of what I believe. Yeah. And then two, just good old fashioned Socratic method, like asking me why I believe what I believe and kind of pinning me on some things that I didn't have a good answer for. And ultimately you think, well, um, maybe I was wrong about that. What else might I be wrong about? And suddenly your opinions start developing on a whole bunch of things. Nobody ever persuaded me with, uh, with force or with, um, with threats or whatever. No, nobody ever persuades anyone that way, I don't think. you got to persuade yeah. them with reason and good faith. Yeah, and charity. Yeah. Yes. And trust. Yeah. I mean, it, sure. it comes down to a, you know, Ben Shapiro and... Um, uh, what's his Sam Harris, <clears throat> those mm -hmm. types make them put a big emphasis on facts. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I understand where they're coming from, uh, but I do think there is a major blind spot in in their realm of intellectuals that insists on reason and logic. You have to have a heart, and you have to have a welcoming, generous spirit with people. You have absolutely. To, you have to extend good faith. You have to, you know, have some charity. Well, and and yeah, there's a certain segment of. Um of, uh, I don't know, I guess my sphere, like the right, so to speak, libertarians, conservatives, whatever, because there's a certain segment that kind of wants vengeance, I suppose you could say. That is to say, when someone comes around, if they start to think, oh, um, cancel culture is bad, or oh, I've changed my mind about gun rights, or I've changed my mind about something, there's definitely a good amount of people who kind of want to punish that person for enabling it in the past. Like, Oh, you've been pro mob in the past, but now you don't like it. Now they came after you. So now you've changed your mind. And I get that. I, I I understand that thirst to hold them to the same standards, whoever the them may be. However, the thing that I hate the most about the ideological authoritarians. And I think that most of them are on the left right now, but I'm not going to say that it's exclusively the left. It's totally possible that that shifts in the future. And I, I can't ignore like the church ladies trying to ban video games of the past. Like yeah, that, exactly. That sort, yeah. that sort of thing was a reality and could be a reality in the, in the future. But what I don't like about that authoritarian culture is a lot of the time there is no path to redemption. Like the stuff that's going on right now, if you are a violator of the social justice code and you are to be canceled, there is no path to redemption. Well, why would anyone try to be good if there's no path to redemption? So even anytime someone comes around to the right ideas, or at least what I view to be the right ideas, uh, I, try to, I try to be welcoming to that person. Even if they've done some, some bad stuff, it's like, well, better late than never. You know, you, I don't yeah. think you want to punish people for coming around to your side. You want your side to be a, a welcoming place that people want to hang out with and join and be friends with. That's, that's part of what pulled me over too. Like a lot of my views started shifting in 2016 and the reality at the time was just like, I didn't, I didn't like Trump at the time. And I, you know, I'm not a big Trump fan now either. Uh, at least not a super fan. I have my points of criticism and some of my points of appreciation, but the Trump people were just way more fun. Like they just had better memes. They just had better jokes. They had better everything. If you can make if you if you're funny and appealing and charismatic and welcoming, sometimes to your point, it might not even matter how great your your argument is, if you have some of those personality traits that just make people want to be your friend. Yeah, if you have an yeah. aesthetic, a sense of aesthetic. Yeah, that's something that the right recent picked up on with Trump. Yes, really yeah, I agree. Them an aesthetic, and the left lost it back when I was in college. Um, we uh, that is a that is a discussion for another podcast. Um, we've already gone over our thirty minute limit, is even with the uh, little technical malfunction. But I did want to ask you the bonus question. Sure. Yeah, I got a couple minutes. Do you think this is a genuine revolution? Oh man, I was wondering about this on our stream last night um, because, well, I'm wondering specifically to Kenosha because Kenosha is such a big incident that I I was wondering, okay, is this, I could see this going two ways. Are rioters and looters going to learn their lesson? (laughs) Like stop, stop attacking people and property. You might get shot or 
is this going to go the other way where there's going to be a big thirst for vengeance and it's going to be tit for tat. Uh, we're going to, we're going to fight each other and we're going to have this sort of flashpoint that you're talking about, man. Um, obviously the way, <laughs> obviously I hope that people start learning their lesson. They don't attack people anymore, but I, the trajectory has just been so bad. And, and the way that we're viewing these things as a country is so divided. Like I'm amazed by this Kenosha case and the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, shooting incident because all the footage is out there like we're talking about. And people people are watching the exact same footage with the exact same facts and coming to drastically different conclusions. Yes. I think it's a reflection that we as a country don't share the same fundamental values that uh, we did at the founding of this country, for example. I just, I don't, you can have a disagreement with a person when you have a shared fundamental home, a shared fundamental set of values that maybe you have a slightly different interpretation of, but you agree are core concepts. I don't know that we have agreement on those sort of core concepts anymore. I, I often use the phrase bill of rights or nah. That's basically the, the cultural divide right now. Do we agree <laughs> that those, not just the legal matter of you shouldn't be prosecuted for speech or you should have a right to uh, due process and all that, but the, the philosophical ideas behind the Bill of Rights. Do we agree on those concepts or not? And I think there's a huge portion of this country that says no thanks. And I don't know how to bridge that. Yeah, I, I, I think there is a portion. I don't think it's as big as we think it is. I think it is the outspoken portion. Could be, but, yeah. But if you, I'm, I've been reading um, the, the Anatomy of Revolution by, uh, I forget what his name is, came out in the 40s. And he compares the British Civil War to the American Revolution, to the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution and establishes some common traits between all of these. Hmm. And one thing he points out is that it's not the majority that instigates or carries out the revolution. It's a small hmm. minority. Hmm. And they, they quell people into submission. They, you know, the vast majority of people don't really care. The vast majority of people, I do think the vast majority of people, if you asked them if they believed in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, they'd say, yeah, sure. They may not understand them as deeply as you do, but they certainly don't have this critical theory, um, Foucaultian, no, let's dig up the past and unearth it and find all yeah. the blood on it and, and yeah. wash it off and bleach it. They're, no, they're, they're just, they'd like to, they, they have private property and they'd like it to remain theirs. But I do. We do see this well vocal minority that is that's ominous because everything you're describing right there, I can see uh, parallels or uh, the exact facts uh, existing today, and yeah, that worries me. So, like, I flashpoints like Kenosha worry me because the more these happen, the, the more likely it is. I don't know if this is going to be the one. Certainly the election coming up is going to be catastrophic, I think, regardless of how it goes. I, I don't care who yep. Yep. wins. And I'm going to put air quotes around that because the with everything that's going on and how this election is going to be conducted, I don't think that anybody's going to buy the legitimacy of it, no matter what the outcome is. You're going to have conflict there. And when we don't have agreement on fundamental values, like I was talking about, well, it, it, that sort of thing will have to be resolved, and and maybe maybe it gets resolved through. Uh, so obviously, I hope it's not resolved through violence. That's not what I want to see. But it's going to have to be resolved. You can't share a country based on fundamentally incompatible values and concepts with no center creed or set of values to hold you together. Yeah. 
So well, I, I think the yeah. big problem is it's, it's even deeper than values. It's that we don't have shared um, worldviews. We don't have shared sources of information. We don't trust the mm. sources of information. So yeah. it's hard to even build values out of the information we get because like you said, with those videos from Kenosha, you can watch the same pieces of information and get completely different, uh, draw completely different conclusions from them because yeah. you're because of the filters that you're watching. Them yeah, through. I'm amazed. I'm amazed because like I watch that sort of thing and I think, okay, this, this is it's pretty cut and dry to me unless I'm missing something. And then I'll go on left-wing Twitter and it'll be like, oh, this is pretty cut and dry in the totally opposite direction. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. But they're totally sincere. It's it's sometimes. I mean, you think it's a world of people trolling or something? It is not. These people are dead uh, sincere. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, thank you for having well, yeah. me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. I hope we can do this again in the future. Sure. Yeah, and uh, if you are wanting to check out Matt's channel, it's on YouTube. You just type in Matt Christian, like the like the sect sin s e n Christian sin. Exactly. Uh, you've got a podcast, correct? Yeah, you can find all of my stuff, my short videos, my long-form show. Uh, it's all on my website. That's mattchristiansonmedia.com. Like you said, it's long and tough to spell, but it's Christian like the religion, S-E-N. mattchristiansonmedia.com. Find it all there. All right. Well, have a good night. And if the revolution does kick off, uh, <laughs> I, I wish you well. You as well. Godspeed. Thank you for that. Yeah, Godspeed, yeah. sir. Good to talk to you. 